Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Dave. Three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is now an affiliate of Amazon.com, the online megastore that offers Earth's biggest selection. If you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or affiliates page, and Amazon will kick a few bucks back to Rocktail Hour to help us fund this free podcast. Now, I'm very excited about today's podcast because I don't think I'm going to get any more crap about choosing to do White Snake because Tim <laughs> is doing Mr. Roboto by Sticks. Well, I think you'll always get crap about Whitesnake because I don't care what song we pick, it will never be as bad as Whitesnake. Um, and and I'm picking this song because Treg and I have kind of tossed around this idea a little bit over the past couple of months of maybe doing something about um, either a guilty pleasure or a song by a really good band that you know they might be just a little embarrassed about. So I'm choosing Mr. Roboto by Styx because I believe that the band would probably freely admit that although it was one of their most popular songs, it's not one of their best songs. And in fact, the current members of Styx, uh, without Dennis DeYoung, absolutely refuse to play this song in concert. It's just not part of the playlist. They won't do it. I believe it. Um, There are several bands uh, for me from the 70s that really stand out. Um, and make me really think 70s rock and roll. Styx is probably the number one on that list. Kiss is another one, uh, and Kansas. To, to me, those three really sort of epitomize the 70s, and I know there's a lot of really good music that comes out of the 70s, but those are the three sort of hard rock bands that, that stand out to me during that time period. Um, you know, bands like Jethro Tull in Boston and some of those others are really just kind of timeless. But for me, Styx uh, really reminds me of the 70s. And I think they're a band that didn't transition very well into the 80s. And I think I've made fun of a lot of bands for that in the past in these podcasts. And we'll talk about that a little bit, too. Can I ask you a question then? Sure. Would you put all of those bands ahead of Led Zeppelin? No, no, I'm not saying that they're they're the best bands of that time period. I'm just saying they remind me of the 70s. Oh, okay, so yeah. it's not a... They're indicative these are of my the, favorite. Right, no, the no, group. they're indicative okay. of the 70s. Absolutely not. I Sticks doesn't come anywhere close as uh, as far as that goes to Led Zeppelin, although I, I like Sticks. I think Sticks is, is a pretty good band. Um, but no, absolutely not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank them up there with Jethro Tull or Led Zeppelin or, but I think they're good and I think they were a really solid band and, Mm -hmm. and I think that they were very popular, but I don't think they get sort of the historical credit that they maybe would deserve. And again, maybe not as much as some of those other bands like Led Zeppelin, who great, one of, one of the greatest, if not arguably the greatest, you know, rock and roll band from that time period. The reason I ever. ask is... Or ever. Or, or ever. ever, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Zepp or the Beatles. The reason I ask is I have a 25-year-old feud with one of, one of my buddies who believes that Kiss is the best band ever. Oh. <laughs> and we have been arguing the Zeppelin Kiss thing for oh. so many years. So anyway, I, I wanted to make sure that this didn't make it into the podcast because he would therefore use this podcast in our little <laughs> ongoing feud. And to me, I don't think there's an argument to be made. But anyway, I digress. Not even close. We're very careful at the Rocktail Hour to try to not make fun of of bands because we certainly don't want to alienate 
you know, anyone who, who likes a particular band that maybe we don't. White Snake fans, for example. Yeah, well, no, I'm not very careful about that. Yeah, um, one exception. We're we're careful about that. We don't want to alienate anybody. You know, the appreciation of music and the reason that you like music is is certainly a subjective thing. And you know, yep. what I like and think is really great, and, and I can argue all night long. You know, somebody can you know give an opposing argument, but I I don't like Kiss, and I'll just say that I I never have really liked Kiss, and even in the '70s, I didn't like them. Uh, they were just not my favorite thing. And, and Kiss was just such an odd thing. Even as a kid, I recognized that they were gimmicky. And, you know, I, musically, they're probably pretty good. In fact, not probably. They are. Vocally, they're awful, but musically, they're pretty good. Yeah. Ace Frehley was a good guitar player. I'd give him that. Yeah. You know, Gene they, Simmons they, on bass is fun. He was, he was uh, I think, a good bass player. Not known for his bass playing, though. Those guys were known for what you would call gimmicks. I think they were genius Party. marketers. Oh, yes. absolutely. They, yeah, were they were great marketers. Yeah, absolutely. Great businessmen. But but I think, you know, when you talk about them sort of being indicative of the 70s, their their absolute number one hit was a disco song. I was made for loving yeah, you, baby. Absolutely, yeah. And <laughs> the so, Dynasty album, right? So you know, I think that makes my point. Is what I'm trying to say is that they were definitely a, a '70s band, and they did not transition well into the '80s. Once they lost the makeup, and and they lost some good band members. But you don't uh, listen to Lick It Up on a daily basis. Um, actually, <laughs> I actually like Lick It Up probably better than any of the other Kiss. It's not a bad song. Yeah. Well. Yeah. This is um, becoming the Kiss podcast. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I, <laughs> no, I derailed right. us. I apologize. Well, no, but my point is, is that this was that that band from the seventies, and if you if you think about it, Sticks had some great songs in the seventies. Yeah, we should have um, done those. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Fooling yourself um, is a great song. Uh, Come sail away, and I'm not a real fan of Dennis DeYoung's sort of sappy ballads. But, you know, these were big songs. Come Sail Away, Babe, which is an awful song. And the only other song I think that's oh, I worse it. than that from the 70s is Beth. So, again, we're going back to Kiss. <laughs> but uh, I love Babe. Um, you know, Blue Collar Man. and Renegade. Uh, that's, Renegade, that's the, that's Renegade the best song. is a great song. You know, yep. so there's a lot of really good songs. Snowblind. Um, a lot of good hard rocking songs. And then they kind of waver between being a, a rock band and this sort of sappy, you know, ballady band. Well, that was Dennis DeYoung. Well, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, they had some big albums, and uh, they did The Grand Illusion. Uh, it, it was a platinum album. Their first Pieces of Eight was a platinum album. Cornerstone was a platinum album. And then you had um, a really good album, Paradise Theater, which actually hit number one on the charts. It was their only only album, uh, at least at that point, to have hit number one. And then Dennis DeYoung comes up with this idea for Kilroy Was Here, which was another concept album. And um, it explored themes like totalitarianism and censorship and the increasing dangers of technology, which seems a little bit convoluted. It seems like they were really sort of shotgunning the different themes of this album. One of the driving forces behind the album was that on an earlier album, they had that song Snowblind. And Jerry Falwell, among some of the other uh, critics were saying that there was some sort of an occult message when you played the the record backwards, which the band just absolutely laughed off. And in I fact, heard that. 
and in fact sort of um, ended up thanking them for all of the publicity because all these people went out and bought the album and listened <laughs> to the song backwards trying to find this you know so-called backwardly masked message. Anyway, they, but they were mad because nothing could be further from the truth. Dennis DeYoung said, hey, we have a hard enough time making it sound good going forwards, you know, <laughs> let alone trying to write an album backwards. So anyway, that was one of the things. And so this idea of Kilroy was here was that Dennis DeYoung was going to play this character of Kilroy, who was a uh, a rocker who had been wrongfully imprisoned because rock and roll has been outlawed. James Young played this Dr. Righteous who was wrongfully persecuting Kilroy. And then Tommy Shaw played this rocker that was sort of the hero and, and when was the, the person who ends up rescuing Dennis DeYoung as Kilroy. And so they got the album going and, and it became immediately, it was a big success. And in fact, Mr. Roboto was only supposed to be a sort of introductory song to the rest of the album, but it did so well with target audiences that they actually released it as a single and it was huge. It was huge at the time in 1983 and I remember it coming out. Um, and there was a little bit of um, conflict with the band in that um, James Young and Tommy Shaw kind of wanted to go back to that that more uh, edgy sound and a little bit more of a, a rock and roll where um, uh, Dennis DeYoung was working more and more towards a techno feel. Basically, you know, that transition from the 70s to the 80s where yeah. everything was synthesizer and, and, and technology and you know, I don't think the song now stands the test of time. If you listen to it now, it's, it's just kind of goofy, and it, and it sounds really dated. Um, and, and, of course, the themes of the of the song are just, you know, silly anyway. They were silly at the time, but, boy, what a popular song. You know, Treg and I were in high school just starting our yeah, senior, senior year, year that's right. when this came out. And, and everybody was singing it. Yeah, it was a big yeah. deal. Yeah. And, you know, it was really catchy, you know, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto, and you, you, you could sing that and... You know, none of us knew what any of it meant, you know, because there was a lot of Japanese at the very beginning of it. But Can I ask you a question mm-hmm. on that? So was there some kind of a double entendre type thing going on with the concept being partially, you said, a rant against technology? But here, Sticks themselves were doing this concept album, departing from kind of their raw more raw rock and roll roots and embracing a technology type of a feel for this song. So to me, it seems like there's a little bit of a conflict there. I wonder if that's just musical hypocrisy or if it's something that they were trying to do on purpose or... You know, I don't know. I don't... Anything I've read about the song doesn't really, you know, talk about that. I've always wondered if if there was some racial themes underlying that because back in the early 80s, the Japanese were then what China is now, the, the really strong economy and the, and the country right, that was right. really doing all the production. And, and at the time coming over and they were, you know, starting up their automobile factories in, in, in places that were very, very traditionally American made cars. And, and so there was a lot of conflict there. And, and, you know, that's where, that's where, you know, you, some of the older people, people like my, you know, my mom and dad would, you know, buy American, you know, you don't buy one of those terrible Toyotas, which is absolutely ridiculous because they were far better cars than, you know, GM and Ford at mm-hmm. the time ever thought of being. I'm half Japanese, by the way, so I'll just go on record saying that half of me cannot stand this song. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> I, half of me is deeply offended right yeah. now, Tim. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> which half? <laughs> the, the Swedish side <laughs> the left half yeah okay <laughs> anyway it was fun later on now that I you know I speak Japanese and um, now I understand the words and 
it, it's actually when I say it's fun later on, it was fun to learn what the words were, but it was really disappointing. It's it was much more fun not knowing what they were saying because it sure sounded cool and <laughs> they're really they're really goofy lyrics. What is it? What do they say at the beginning? Uh, right at the very beginning, they say, "Thank you very much, Mister Ro- Robot. Until we meet again, thank you very much, Mister Robot. Um, I want to know your secret. You know, which is which is basically you know mirroring or or even." Uh, directly taking the words, you know, out of context from the rest of the song. Sounds cooler in Japanese. It does. It sounds way cooler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything does. Although I will tell you in Japan, <laughs> in Japan, it was, you know, a fairly popular song. It was it was popular everywhere, but there was sort of this underlying idea that they just kind of mocked it a little bit when I, you know, because I was there in 1985 and, you know, it was still a pretty popular song. Oh, the Japanese mocked the song? Um, Is that what you're saying? I, not openly, but you know, there was just kind of this feeling. If if you heard it and and somebody heard it, they just kind of laughed a little bit. Yeah. So, what is the idea behind having the Japanese in the song at all? To be well, with? I don't know. Do we I, know. I have no idea. The only thing that I can think of is at the time in the '80s. You know, Japan was the forerunner of technology, and and oh, the, right. I, the idea of yep. of robots was was very very Japanese at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's why. But but this you know this sort of concept album with the story didn't really have anything to do, to my knowledge, with Japan. So anyway. You know, the album is a huge success, and um, it it really did kind of sort of exceed expectations. And Mr. Roboto is number five on Rolling Stone's top five hundred songs. Now, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't keep a straight face through that. Sorry. So um, it's Heresy. not e- it's not even on the list. I think it was five hundred one. Just barely missed it. Um, <laughs> that would make me want to stop quoting that list. Yeah. <laughs> if it even made the yeah. four ninety nine or five hundred, no, there'd be no credibility. Yep. Anyway, the interest, the really interesting story uh, about this is this was the album that sort of broke up the band. And what happened was is that um, they would tour, and they started out by touring in some smaller venues um, to sort of test this. And they had this 10-minute film that, that was sort of a, you know, the idea of this dystopian you know, society and, and rock and roll had been outlawed. And the finale of the film, actually, the film stopped and they, and they acted it out live on stage, which Tommy Shaw just hated anyway. <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't in his comfort zone and, and apparently he really kind of wasn't very suited for it. Um, but the audiences just hated this play. They just wanted to come and, and see a concert. And they were at this much larger venue and the, and the crowd just booed them off the stage. You know, they were so disgusted by this play and this idea, and they just booed them. And so Tommy Shaw smashes his guitar on the stage and throws it into the audience and leaves, and that was it. You know, the next day they had this meeting, and they decided that they were going to break up. You know, and, and then they got together, and then they broke up again, and they got together, and, and until now, they tour, you know, without Dennis DeYoung. And, you know, that's kind of sad, because if you think about it, there's some bands that... That if you have certain people missing, to me they're not really the band anymore. You know, I, how could you go see Journey and not have Steve Perry there? I could see Steve Perry without the other members of the band, and I'd feel like I'd seen Journey, but not vice versa. Although the one thing about Sticks is that each one of those guys, you know, each of the leads has uh, their own solos and their own songs, and, and well, so- yeah. It's still, it's like two-thirds of sticks. Sure, yeah. But it's not sticks. I mean, there's that general feeling of it's not sticks without Dennis DeYoung, in, in my opinion. Anyway, it'd be like saying, 
you know, you know, I'm going to go see the Eagles, but I'm not going to see Joel Walsh. Well, is it really the Eagles or it is the remaining members of the Eagles? Yeah. You know, when I went to see Jethro, or see, now I just said that. I went to see Ian Anderson here about four months ago. And as mm. far as I'm concerned, if I go see Ian Anderson, I've seen Jethro Tull. But, um, you know, and the members, of, you know, not to not to discredit the, the band members of Jethro Tull because they're incredible. But when you go see Ian Anderson, it just feels like you've seen Jethro Tull. So yep. I think broadly speaking, the singer, the lead singer of almost any band is probably one, the least expendable. If in terms of reproducing a, a sound and a vibe and yep. what people are used to seeing. Yeah. 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 And I would say there are some exceptions. You know, Van Halen did very well. And Van Halen still really kind That's of felt true. like Van Halen. As much as I mock, you know, Van Hagar, because I, I came from that era where Van Halen, you know, included David Lee Roth. I thought they were very good. You know, maybe not quite as exciting to me because I liked, you know, but you couldn't go see the Beatles without John Lennon. The other exception to that rule is Kiss. We could do without all of the vocalists. Yeah. <laughs> and we've come full circle. <laughs> yeah. And now we're back to Kiss. So anyway, this was, you know, this was a song that in high school for me was so popular. But, you know, we did. We really made fun of this because it just, to me, it didn't sound like sticks. And well-deserved. Yeah. It's sad because in my youth growing up, I got to know sticks through this song and so there's a little warning to bands that are looking to depart from what makes them great which they certainly did with this song now forever in my mind not forever in my mind because i've gotten to know them beyond this song but there's still a big part of my kind of perception of sticks that's forever tied to mr roboto because it's got so much airplay and so much video play back in the 80s and it's really unfortunate because sticks was a a great band or had some great music Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean if you just just take a look at the vocals in Renegade when you you know it starts out and they're they're you know they're sort of singing a cappella and they're so tight mm-hmm. and and they're just good singers and and then when it really starts to rock you know after they've finished that that introduction you know that's an incredible song. Hmm. Well, that's all I have. Domo arigato, Tim. Doitashi mashite. Don't touch my mustache. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Uh, great rocktail hour on Mr. Obato. You can listen to a clip from the song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail Hour website. Uh, also, please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong, if you have an interesting rock tale of your own, or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a good subject for Rocktail Hour. If you think we're lame, please keep that to yourself. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. And until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Rock on.